Is God really looking after me? Does God really know what's best for me? Can I really trust that God has my best intentions in mind? These are just some of the questions that had been swirling around in Sarah's mind this past week. You see, Sarah's, the company that Sarah worked for went under and the job which she loved was now gone. She had gotten into an argument with her best friend that past week, putting a strain on their relationship. And on top of all this, she just found out that her dad had been diagnosed with cancer. But as Sarah looked at her life, that point when it seemed like everything that could go wrong was going wrong, it was so easy for Sarah to doubt that God was truly watching over her. And as you see what Sarah was going through, can you, can you understand why she had those questions swirling around in her mind? And can you even empathize with what she was going through? After all, we live in an imperfect, sinful world that so often feels like a roller coaster with all kinds of ups and downs. And for those low points in your life, those times in life when it seemed like everything that could go wrong was going wrong, did you sometimes have those same questions going through your mind? Is God really watching over me? Can I really trust that, that God has my best intentions in mind? Does, does God really know what's best for my good? That when we suffer much in this life, faith can so quickly flee and doubt can enter into our hearts. Now, lean up to verses for today. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, had been speaking to his audience about the present sufferings that we endure here in this life. But he mentions to his audience that these present sufferings are nothing compared to the future eternal glory that is to come. And in our verses for today, Paul makes it clear both to his audience and also to us that this future glory is a sure and certain thing for each and every one of us. Because God is always working for our good and because God is always working to protect us. Paul begins in our verses for today. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, for those who are called according to His purpose. When Paul says all things here, he truly is talking about all things, good, bad, even the present sufferings that he had just been talking to his audience about. But how can Paul say that bad things work for good? Well, it's because Paul doesn't have in mind your good from a human perspective. A life that is free from all kinds of sufferings and hardships and filled with all kinds of joys and pleasures in this life. No, Paul has in mind your eternal future. Paul has in mind your eternal good. And this is such a great source of comfort. Because while nobody doubts that God intends to work good through the good things that he blesses us with in this life, Paul here stresses that God also intends to work good out of the sufferings and hardships that we face in this life as well. And just to be clear, Paul isn't denying that these sufferings and hardships are difficult to endure here in this life. He understands that they're, they're hard to suffer through. But what Paul is doing is he's directing those who have been called by God. He's directing believers. 
to look ahead to the future eternal glory in heaven and know that God is going to work all things here in this present life, good and bad, to work towards that future goal. But upon hearing this, can't doubt sometimes enter into our minds? Is what Paul says here really talking about you and me? Because doesn't it only seem right for God to do something like this, to work all things for eternal good for, for those believers of his who excel in their lives of sanctification rather than for believers like who so often struggle with our sinful flesh? Is what Paul says here really talking about you and me? Well, yes. Because as Paul says, those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. That Paul directs his audience to the doctrine of election for comfort and assurance. And there are many who are going to hear Paul's words here, and they're going to ask the question, or be tempted to ask the question, why some and not others? But this is a question that is to be left in the dark, because this is a question that is hidden in the mind of God and not revealed in Scripture. And if we simply let these words serve the purpose that Paul intends them to serve, then we hear the comfort and assurance that the doctrine of election is always intended to convey. And the comfort is this, that God in eternity, before time began, specifically and personally chose you to be his very own. And because this happened before time began, your works are completely excluded from the discussion, completely shutting the door on any thought that God chooses us because of some worthiness of our own. And just to be clear, it's not as though God chooses someone by some random means, as though he threw a, a dart at a board blindly or, or happened to draw your number out of a hat. No, God in eternity, before time began, before you existed and before you acted in his divine counsel, decided, you are one of mine. And God's way of fulfilling his timeless election is by ordering all of history to make sure that his elect come into contact with the means of grace. This is how God calls those whom he has elected. And as Paul says, those whom God has called, he has also justified and glorified. All of these things are connected. So if you've ever been tempted to doubt your salvation, know that if the water connected to the word has ever touched your head in the waters of baptism, or if God's gospel promises have ever reached your ears, or if you have ever received your Savior's body and blood in the Lord's then you have been called by God, and therefore you have been in God's heart and plan from eternity. And you have been justified, declared innocent of all of your sins and righteous in God's sight, and you will share in heavenly glory with Christ, your Savior. And because God has done this for you, you can truly know that in all things in your life, through the good and bad, the present sufferings, hardships, and difficulties, that God will work all things for your eternal good.
Now, Paul, in our first few verses for this morning, wanted to, to make sure that his audience knew, without a seed of doubt, that their future eternal glory was a sure and certain thing. And as Paul now continues in our verses today, he moves on to give an epilogue or a conclusion to everything he has said so far in all of chapter 8, which is a chapter that Paul began saying that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Paul now concludes it, stating that God is always working to protect his elect from all of the enemies that seek to tear them away from his hand. Paul begins this epilogue with the question, what then do say about these things? It's an initial question which once again looks back on everything Paul said in the entirety of chapter 8, introduces five statements that just leave us to marvel at God's grace. In the first of these statements, Paul says, If God is for us, who can be against us? There are so many things that work against us in this life. All kinds of uh, events, calamities, sufferings, hardships, our own sinful flesh, and even Satan himself. But Paul's point is that in the midst of all of these things, the fact that God is for you means that all of this opposition doesn't matter. Because God being for you doesn't simply mean that you have another member on your team. God being for you doesn't doesn't simply mean that God is sitting on the sidelines cheering you on as you fight the good fight of faith. No, God being for you means that the almighty, all-powerful, and all-loving God is actively engaged in battle on your behalf. And there is no enemy too great that God can't defeat. And you can know that God is for you because he has already acted decisively on your behalf. Indeed, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things along with him? The work of Christ is where we see just how deep God's love is for us. And we hear that God didn't spare his own son. Meaning that as Christ hung on the cross, God didn't take away any pain or discomfort. That as he hung on the cross, there wasn't a single sin that was was misplaced or forgotten. The sins of the entire world were placed on him so that he could suffer the punishment that each and every one of them deserved. So that he could accomplish your salvation. And in doing so, Christ not only crushed Satan's head and completely defeated him, but he has also won for you all of the blessings that God has promised to give you both for this life and the life to come. The next statements that Paul presents envision the future final judgment and in light of everything that Paul has said so far, this is a day that believers have no need to fear. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will bring a charge against us? Uh, Certainly Satan will. After all, his name means accuser. And there's nothing more than Satan desires to do than to get us to, to doubt our salvation. And to do that, Satan is going to bring up all kinds of sins that you've committed in your life. Sins that you committed well 
in the past and sins that you committed just recently. Sins that weigh heavily on your heart. And he's going to bring all of these things up to lead you to doubt. To lead you to believe that God would never forgive you for that one sin. And while Satan's accusations may ring true, you will never face condemnation. Because all these charges that Satan brings against you are being brought against one who is God's elect. One who has been redeemed through the work of Christ. The one who shed his holy and precious blood for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Who was raised from the dead to prove his victory over sin, death, and Satan himself. And who has ascended into heaven. And who is currently seated at the right hand of God, pleading to God on your behalf. That because of everything Christ has done for you, Paul assures you that there is no sin so great that hasn't been forgiven through the work of Christ. And because our salvation is founded on the work of Christ, Paul continues, What will separate us from the love of Christ? Will trouble or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. And what Paul gets across with this question is that nothing can sever the bond that we have with Christ, since our God-given faith is what connects us to him and receives all of the blessings that he has won for us. And Paul gives a long list of of means and methods that the sinful world and that Satan are going to use to try and tear away at that relationship that we have with Christ. And he even quotes Psalm 44 to make the point that, that the church has and will continue to be the target of these attacks. And just as it is written, For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Yet in spite of all of these attacks that come our way, in spite of all of this opposition... Paul says that in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We don't just come out victorious in light of all of these attacks. We conquer them with ease and it's not even a contest. And this is all because, not of our own power, but because of the power of the one who gave his own life for us. And because Christ has won the victory for us, Paul concludes... For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, neither things present nor things to come, nor powerful forces, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul gives a list with a bunch of pairs with opposites being mentioned to bring out the idea that everything is included. He's not just talking about the extremes, but also everything that comes in between. And the thought Paul brings out is this, that all these things do threaten and seek to destroy our faith. But we have the firm conviction that nothing will drive a wedge between us and God. Because God is always working to protect and preserve his elect in the one true faith to bring us to our eternal home in heaven. So is God looking out for me? Can I really trust that God has my best intentions in mind? Does God really know what's best for me? 
As you go through life living in this sinful world with all of its ups and downs, these questions which are rooted in doubt can so often circle around in our minds. But Paul, in our verses for today, silences all of these thoughts with a resounding message of certainty, assuring each and every one of us that God is always working for our eternal good and that God is always working to protect those whom he has called and justified giving us the assurance that nothing will thwart God's plan to bring those of us who have been redeemed through the blood of Christ to our eternal home in heaven. Amen.